Hi there, I'm Mark Icero, and this is Article Club, where we read, annotate, and discuss one great article every month on race, education, or culture. It's November, and this month we've been reading an outstanding article titled An American Education by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Eli Saslow of the Washington Post. And I was thinking the other day that actually I haven't chosen very many education-related articles for Article Club, even though many of us are educators. And I think it's just because I have such a high bar, um, and I'm not trying to be snooty here or anything, but like if you're going to talk and write about education, you'd better come correctly. And I'm happy to say that Mr. Sasso has done so in this piece. It's brilliantly reported and brilliantly written, and I hope you read it and come to our discussion on Sunday, November 20th. And if you're interested, all you need to do is sign up at highlighter.cc slash discussion. I'm also happy to say that Mr. Sasso generously said yes to sharing his thoughts about his article, and I had the opportunity to interview him yesterday, and he was wonderful, and I hope you take a listen. We talked about a ton of things, including why he chose to write this piece, how he got to know Superintendent Carolyn Stewart and teacher Rose Jean Obrique, the two main figures in the piece. We talked about how it felt to be in the classrooms in a middle school in Bullhead City, Arizona. We talked about classroom management and how tough it is. We talked about the brokenness of our education system and how he feels about it as a, as a parent. And it, it was just a great interview. And, and I really hope that you listen to it. And I really hope that you appreciate it. Here it is. Well, thank you so much, Eli, for doing Article Club. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. Before we get into your latest piece, which we're all getting interested in talking about, wanted to still ask you about uh, your Pulitzer Prize win. You know, you've been a finalist several times, but do you do you remember how you felt when you won the Pulitzer Prize? Uh, I would say hugely gratified, but also like a little a little conflicted, if that makes sense. I mean, so much of my work is I try to go and pay a lot of attention to places where it feels like maybe the country isn't paying attention, and and so you know that. Pulitzer Prize in particular was for a series of stories about basically food insecurity and and the rise of like the food stamps program in the U.S. So while I, I was thrilled that the the work resonated with people and and of course it's always nice to win an award and be honored like it's a little weird to be celebrated for writing about like other people's worst moments. Uh, the truth is that's like kind of a cornerstone of my job though. I'm I'm always going and trying to to kind of document what it's like for people who are who are kind of in the swirl of some of our country's biggest problems. So that's that's like a, a complicated feeling I deal with often. Yeah, I mean, I've read a lot, a ton of your stuff, and you do really get at some of the deepest uh, issues that we're grappling with in such a human and humane way. And it's just everything that you've written. And I, I guess the thing is, I haven't seen you write as much about education. And then this big piece, it's like, whoa, you're really talking about that. So can you talk about how you got into this piece? Sure. Yeah. Uh and that's a great observation. You know, I think education is in the corners of a lot of the things that I write about, but I had not spent a ton of time in schools, at least not in the last five or six years. Some of that is because access can be, you know, for good reasons, really challenging. And some some of it is that I just, you know, you know I'd, I'd been in other places. But, uh, you know, basically over the last year, I've been writing a lot about um, the aftermath of the pandemic and the way that that it's exacerbated, you know, so many of our countries like foundational inequities uh, and, and education being a huge huge part of that. So I guess it was probably a year ago, I did another school related story where I was uh, sort of um, riding around a lot with the 
an assistant principal at a high school in California where they had just, um, they'd lost a huge percentage of their, their student body over the pandemic. And every week, this assistant principal was sort of going out from the school and just looking for these kids who'd, who'd essentially disappeared from classrooms. Uh, and, and that had, that had stuck in my head. And, and then in continuing to read other pieces about, you know, like what it was like for, for, for schools over the last few years coming back and my own kids in, in public schools here in Portland, sort of seeing, seeing what it's been like for them. Um, pretty much everybody else in my family is a teacher. Both of my parents were teachers. My brother's a teacher. So hearing, hearing their experiences and then reading so much about teacher shortages um, and, and just compounding so many of these problems, I, I just got interested in it. And, and I have like the incredible luxury in my job of uh, once I get interested in something, usually um, being given like the support and the time to go and try to figure it out. So, you know, from that very broad base of sort of, um, all right, another school year is starting, like we're, we're beginning to see um, some, some real like inequity in, in learning gaps in different places. Uh, and also now schools in, in huge parts of the country are struggling mightily to, uh, to, to have, have, have anybody at the front of a classroom. Um, I sort of began there and then start, start calling around the country, talking to superintendents all over the place about what they're seeing, what they're dealing with. Eventually through all that thought that Arizona made, made sense um, as, as a place to do it. Then, you know, kind of in that next level, talking to a bunch of superintendents in different districts in Arizona until I kind of landed on on Bullhead City and and the moment and then headed there and, and began kind of my on the ground reporting. Yeah, it's so interesting because every everybody's talking about education. Everybody has a, an opinion, you know, whether you're a parent or whatever. And it's interesting, all this talk about learning loss and, and other issues with education, what, what we're not talking about as much is who is actually in the classrooms and how are superintendents and districts getting teachers. And it is shocking in some ways, but this piece about outsourcing and getting uh, teachers from the Philippines is not necessarily even a new thing, no. but maybe not anything that has been highlighted. And what was really interesting is even how you started your piece too. Is it, is it okay to talk a little bit about of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like you start at the airport yep. um, with this like veteran superintendent. Yeah, Carrot Carolyn, 75 years old and still doing it because she, you know, she's like, frankly, I mean, I, I, I spent a lot of time in Bullhead City and and left just sort of reaffirmed with my like deep respect and appreciation for the teachers in those classrooms um, and and including for Carolyn for the superintendent who uh, you know is is 75 years old doesn't need to be doing the job but but like there are shortages in every other way in this area there are not very many people who are qualified to be superintendents of this district she's she's one of the very few um, she she believes in like sticking with students who've been abandoned in other ways like systemically in the country and. And so she's still doing it, but yeah. And, and that's a school district, like you said, that has recruited foreign teachers for a long time. And um, what's changed is that that went from like a small piece of, of what they were hoping to have every year in a building to really like a, a, a last ditch attempt to have um, anybody at the front of classrooms. And so now suddenly, you know, in that district, they're, they're filling, you know, oftentimes 15 vacancies in a school with, with 45 teachers are, are coming from, um, from a so yeah, once once I realized that I wanted to write about Bullhead City, um, I, one of the one of the 
one of the things I always try to do is rather than just talking to people about what's going on is, is to be there and, and to sort of be there for the most important moments and to see things myself. So when Carolyn, I sort of got the schedule from Carolyn about when teach various teachers were arriving, Arizona starts school really early. So, you know, they had already started, they were two or three weeks into the school year and still missing a huge portion of their teaching staff. And, and once she started, started to send me these flight schedules, um, I knew that I wanted to be there when she was going to pick people up to sort of, it's, it's a very natural beginning. Yeah. And a lot of your writing is all about empathy and really connecting. And the part about, about Carolyn Stewart also having to substitute and like being 75 and like she knows everything and still the students were challenging. And then she's like, that's enough. I'm going to go to the Las Vegas airport and get some teachers. And also like how, you know, talk about a reaffirming thing for classroom teachers too, that she, like that one day in the classroom, she was so emotionally and physically exhausted afterwards. I mean, she was laughing, telling me about it because I think it was a little embarrassing for her, but she could not, she couldn't leave the teacher's lounge because she was just having these rolling body cramps. She couldn't get back out to her car. So uh, yeah, it, 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 uh, she certainly appreciated how difficult the jobs were that these teachers were going to be coming into. And, and you know, uh, Rose Jean Obrique, who sort of becomes the main teacher that the story follows, she was walking into the room that, that uh, Carolyn had substituted in. And so on top of all of the other complications for these teachers coming in, the fact that, that literally, I think 15 different teachers had been in that classroom over the first three weeks of school just, just made the arrival so much more challenging and complicated. Yeah, absolutely. But being at the airport also to meet, like you were there to also to meet the teacher. Yep. Yeah, I was there. I mean, I rode, you know, more logistics than you want, but it was a lot of driving for me because I flew into, flew into Las Vegas, drove to Bullhead City, spent like sort of a day getting a sense of the schools there before the teacher teachers arrived, um, spent time at, at Fox Creek, their, their uh, school for seventh and eighth graders, their junior high, um, then drove with, with Carolyn from uh, Bullhead City back to Las Vegas so she could pick up the teachers, rode back with them to Bullhead City, and then eventually went back to the airport in, in Vegas and, and flew out and then came back for a longer trip once the teachers were beginning to sort of um, start their lives in the classroom. And did you choose her like from the beginning or did you have a variety? Because like sometimes when I talk to journalists and writers, like you sort of like try to figure out who is maybe the best person to sort of follow around. Was she sort of there from the beginning or did you talk to a number of teachers? Uh, Rose Jean, you mean? Yeah. She, so that was, that's, you're right that that's a huge part of the process is, is figuring out, um, you know, like what's, who's the person you want to spend time with and, and who are the best sort of people to uh, illuminate like a story. And so certainly that was true with Carolyn, right? I talked to a bunch of other superintendents and, and most of those superintendents, frankly, were not going by themselves to the airport to pick people up who were coming in. So, so part of even just choosing Bullhead City was like, wow, Carolyn is 75. She's trying to find teachers anywhere. She's gone to conferences all over the country. They're getting no applicants for all these openings. And now she's driving, you know, hundred miles away to the airport in Vegas and picking them up themselves. That just is like immediately instinctually appealing from a storytelling standpoint. Um, but with Rose Jean, I did, I didn't know what teacher I was going to focus on. And, and um, you know, on the, that day she picked, up, I think four teachers and I was in the car back with all of them. And, and as they were all talking to each other and as I was talking to them, I was sort of starting to think like who, um, you know, whose classroom am I going to want to sit in and spend a lot of time in? And, and, you know, there were reasons to be frankly, like intrigued by many of them. Like some of them had left three kids at home and, and had come from the Philippines. And that was really interesting. But the thing about Rose Jean is that she was, um, you know, she was like the, 
she was the top teacher at the school that she came from. Um, she was like, she is young, energetic, and like was so certain um, about how well it was going to go. Just, just was, you know, couldn't, couldn't have been more qualified and more ready for the moment ahead of her. Um, and there was also like a, maybe a little bit of like naivete in that, that um, you know, I just became really curious really quickly. Like, how's, how's this going to go? Like she, she came in with, uh, with so much belief in her own ability and also like um, in the students that she was about to teach that she became pretty appealing as a character pretty quickly. Absolutely. And right in the middle of the piece, you have several one line quotes from her, like basically like, this is going to be great. I have a growth mindset. I am resilient. Um, Juxtaposed even before the classroom juxtaposed with, oh, this is not as green of an America as I, as I thought it would be. Exactly. I mean, that's, they, they, they arrived knowing so little about, uh, you know, the schools that they were landing. And of course, like many of them, I, I believe like the teaching brochure that that, that Rose Jean had originally responded to was like, come teach the world's best in America. And then you, you show up in Bullhead City where, you know, 17% of students are proficient on, on state, state exams, but also a place that is, you know, like out in the middle of the desert. Um, and, and frankly is, uh, to me anyway, much more um, emblematic of like the America of this moment than, than the idea that somebody might have coming from abroad. It's a place that's like uh, really struggles with um, opioid addiction, meth problems, uh, like surging poverty um, and, and like really complicated political dynamics with like a, you know, both heavy Hispanic population, but also like a, a pretty large, um, you know, like election denialist uh, population. So it, it's a, it's a disorienting place for them to, to arrive in. And very different than their expectations, which became clear pretty quickly. Yeah, but nonetheless, she stays positive. And yep. then then comes, I have to say, like as an educator and a lot of the folks who are like just really reading and getting into it, they're teachers too. And they're like, I like I am feeling really seen in the classroom because of all the challenges and stuff, because you were there and you're yep. not a you're not an educator, but like you were there in the classroom and there's two major sort of class periods that you focus on in the piece. And before we get to those, like, just how did it feel, you know, because like you, you were there the whole time while this was all happening. So as a non-educator, but also as a parent, how did it feel being in those classrooms? Yeah. What a, what a great question. Um, you know, uh, this is probably going to be a a, a a long answer that will wander into it. But like the best, you know, I spend a lot of time in in my in my work trying to figure out how to get to places where it feels like I'm seeing something that um that matters or is important. And uh, you know, the best like 30 days I have every year are are when I've actually found that place and I'm and I'm there and I'm sort of living inside it. And uh, those days in that classroom immediately felt like that. I mean, frankly, I was um, mostly because they they surprised me. They defied my own expectations. Like I, I did not, um, you know, like I said, I have a lot of teachers in my family uh, and and I have some sense of, of different classrooms. I've been in classrooms reporting, um, but immediately from the first, literally the first period in those eighth grade classrooms, um, when these, these, these Filipino teachers arrived, um, I, I was frankly like a little bit, um, stunned by by what I was seeing like it just was uh sometimes almost funny like how how, frankly like how you know seventh and eighth graders can be like so mischievous as as in their kids and and they're trying to get away with what they can and and like less the the principal of the school said um in a way that was very memorable to me like they're they're like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park testing the fence um and in this case like there was no fence And, and so you know just watching um you know seeing seeing a uh like from a classroom management perspective 
perspective, seeing it just unravel um, and, and, and sitting there as it was happening and, and repeating that essentially every 50 minute period, day after day after day um, was kind of staggering. And, and uh, I, I would, um, it made me feel sad. It, it, it made me empathize with, uh, with the teachers, also with the kids um, who, who just, uh, I think, have been left in a brutal situation with the principal who's trying to figure out what to do with the school, with the parents who, um, but, but I, I remember, uh, I don't know, I don't know that I should say this, but I remember after the first day reporting that classroom, calling, calling my partner, calling my wife and, and cause our, we had a, a daughter who was starting middle school, ironically, the same week that I was reporting there, um, at a public middle school here in Portland. And I was like, if I'd, if I had, if I, if I'd been sitting in that, if, if, our daughter had been in this classroom and I, within 45 minutes, I would have been like, we have to, we have to do something else. Like we, something, this is not like, it just, it would have been so heartbreaking to know that your kid was in that classroom. And, and I think that's something that I tried to remember a lot as I was writing too, that just, um, just the, the fundamental uh, unfairness of that, like, like, and, and, and what that felt like sitting there and seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Like the whole piece is where you chose to be, what's going on right now in America, as well as like, there's so many different bigger things that are at play that you're writing about. And toward the end, and I also want to ask you about the ending, but toward the end, as a reader, I was like, okay, what is he saying here about America? What is he saying about the brokenness of America? And, or just like what we are facing, what our kids are faced with. And I'm trying to figure out how did you make the choices about sort of like, you, you're you're reporting what you see, but you're also sort of making some commentary um, about where we're at, you know, with an education system as well as our country, as well as like to what degree are we broken? Sure. Um, how did you sort of figure out what to include versus what not, um, and then what to leave the reader with? Yeah, uh, what a thoughtful question. Um, and honestly, like the thing I spend all my time thinking about on every single story because it, you know I'm not. I'm not writing opinion pieces. I'm I'm writing like reported narrative journalism. But it's also true that every choice that's made in a story is mine, right? And I, I'm deciding. I'm sitting in that classroom for you know uh, day after day, and and there are you know two or three longer classroom scenes because anything more than that would be overwhelming or just would take over the entire newspaper. Uh, so you know I'm I, I think one thing I'm doing is making sure that what I'm putting in the story is fair. It, it's like um, not only inherently true because like I saw it and I witnessed it, but also that it's like representative of what was happening. And, and, um, it feels true to what I saw and what I was there and what I witnessed when I was there. Uh, but then the other thing is, I think as I was in that classroom, this juxtaposition just kept like landing in my head, which is like all of these, and this is, this isn't even in the corners of the piece as much, but like this community in Bullhead city, these teachers arrive and there's this like, um, some like jingoistic backlash about like, wow, I can't believe we're relying on these, you know, foreign teachers uh, coming in to, to teach our kids. And then the, the teachers arrive and, and very quickly they realize that actually these students in America are far behind where, where their students in the Philippines were. Um, and also that managing a class of, of 30 kids in the US is more difficult than managing 70 kids in the Philippines. Uh, and, and, you know, I think um, as I as I watched what was happening in that class and, and mostly like the, the perspective of the story, I think largely inhabits like these teachers and, and them seeing them coming in with their impressions of America and what it is and their ideas of America. And frankly, within a week, all of them, every single one being like, I want to go home. Like, I can't believe this is, uh, I can't believe this place that I've arrived in. And, and I think what I wanted, um, 
the piece to accomplish was was some element of that sort of like outside perspective on on our country and this moment in our country to to land for us like like to see what this looks like to somebody who's who's just showing up with with all of this belief in America and what it is and and then arriving into a classroom where you know the students and the community are are just struggling immensely yeah yeah thank you and american teachers want to go home too i mean as we see it's not just post pandemic but we're also seeing teachers leaving just sort of having enough one of the key details in your piece just structurally was here's a state that has cut its education funding by 4.5 billion i think that you said gone yep. to a 4 day week and pays its beginning teachers 38,500 a year I think it's 37.5. Yeah. It's um, unbelievable. Um, you know, it, it is um, like, no wonder they can't recruit anybody there. Right. Like it is. Uh, and then you see like how taxing and how exhausting that job is that the people who come in there, like the superintendent uh, are, are going to be like absolutely racked and fatigued at the end of the day. Um, and these jobs, by the way, as, as you all know, have become so much more difficult than they were before. Because for instance, in that school, you're not just teaching your own class, you're covering for all of these other gaps and absences. Um, you're, you're trying to like patchwork a school together. And you're also, of course, dealing with students who are coming in with like their own trauma, their own mental health issues, um, all of these other things, aside from, from learning gaps, whatever they may be, like in, in the wake of, of missed time during the pandemic. So it's it's such challenging work. I mean, and, and, um, and, and I think the other thing that really, I don't know, stuck with me there is just how much of that work in a school like that um, revolves around classroom management and like establishing a culture in a classroom where any of that progress becomes possible. Um, and and seeing, seeing the struggles of those teachers that I think, you know, will take years, frankly, for them to get to the point where they can do that. I mean, there's one teacher in the story, Anne Cuevas, who, um, you know, finally has sort of got it mastered. And now she's she's one of the strongest teachers in the school. And of course, the irony is because of the way these visas work, she now at the end of this year will go home right at the time that she is now like a great asset to this to this school. So it's just so many ways in which it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And then also you had the whole scene about, oh, I figured it out. The way to figure it out with these kids is that you have to prove to them that you care deeply about them, which we all know relationships do matter. And yet like some of the things that teachers, not just in your piece, but everywhere, it's like, oh, I guess I have to also not just cover classes and teach. I have to go to the games. I have to buy them stuff. It's like, oh yeah. yeah, I mean, so you have these teachers that are making $37,000 a year working like crazy and then the way to succeed with their students is to is to go above and beyond so much more, right? It's just, it's a job that asks so much, um, particularly in that place at this moment. Yeah. So it seems like you had a lot of emotions, not just, you know, in the classroom. And I'm sure with all of your pieces, like, because you're really getting at real people who are, are dealing with some real challenges, like at the end of this piece, like, how did you sort of like feel with regard to like, you may have wanted to take your daughter out of, you know, but like, how does it feel to end a piece like this? And what do you even do with some of your emotions reporting? Yeah. What a great question. Um, you know, I honestly, like, I feel I, this, this piece more than some left me feeling like a little bit depressed, honestly, just, just about like the, the failure of, um, of, of so many of our systems, uh, and, you know, I, I, I think in, in part because I was spending so much time with those teachers uh, who had just arrived, like feeling, um, feeling like this country had like let them down and, and just, just uh, 
like seeing seeing their own their own like sort of um, wonderful view of America like fade so quickly uh, certainly impacted like my own my own thinking. Um, you know, I guess in terms of like how I how I sort of square that in my own life. It's, it's mostly that, um, you know, of course, like the always reminding myself that obviously like the people who are, you know, who this is really hard for are those teachers in the classrooms and, and the parents who have kids in those schools and the kids in those schools who don't have any other choice. Like I'm, I'm lucky that I, uh, you know, live in a place where the public schools, I think are functioning better. Um, I hope. And, and, uh, you know, I have, also like so many other happy, joyful things in my life to balance it. Um, the, the, the greater truth though, is that, you know, doing a story like this, it, it gives me so much more than it takes out of me. Like, I, I feel like particularly in this case, I felt like I saw something that was important and, and, um, I then had the chance to help other people see it. Like you guys are, are, you're in it every day, but classrooms are, are pretty, they're pretty hidden spaces for, for like most people in the country. And, and, um, and that's, some of that is because as I was saying earlier, access can be really difficult and like full credit to, you know, I'm sure it was a really difficult decision for Bullhead City to open up. I mean, this is a painful story and, and, uh, and um, I know has, has caused uh, a lot of tumult there. So um, it's to their credit that they were, they were willing to have me there. But I, I think like, you know, for me, um, I come back from, from reporting like that feeling wiped out, but I also feel like, uh, I, I get a chance to do work that matters. And, and, you know, I'm sure that's the same thing that so many of, of you and so many of the people listening to this feel every day. Like it is th- like work that matters can be, um, exhausting and fatiguing and like existentially draining, but, uh, it also is a privilege to have a chance to do something that can make a difference in some small way. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's what I try to think about. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. One last question, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Okay, here it is. So, so here's the thing. I'm reading along, and then you're you're basically talking about what's going on in the second period of the class, and then the and then the article just ends. It just ends. Yep. And of course, you could say, oh, you know, you have so much space in the paper or whatever. But like, I feel like you did that on purpose too. Yeah, the thing is fast. It's fast. It's abrupt. It actually had like my body. There was something happening, and yep. I was like wow, I've never actually felt that before. And then I was like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. And like, he's making a statement. I could sort of interpret everything, but like, can you talk about how you ended the piece and like why you decided to do it that way? Yeah, of course. Um, You know, I I think often when I'm reporting, I'm, I'm, structure is just, it's like such a huge part of, of narrative writing. And so when I'm reporting, I'm thinking about structure all the time. And, and that was, there was a moment in that classroom where, you know, they, they started talking more directly. She was trying to drive more directly at the idea of America and, and, and what it meant and what it was. Um, and, and as soon as that conversation was happening, you know, I realized like that was so much of, of what this piece is about is sort of unspoken. Um, and, and that was a moment where, where she was speaking it, like she was sort of saying, why, you know, please tell me why do people, why is he using America as, as this great example? Why is he using America? And these students first, they're like inability to answer it, um, their inability to speak to it. And, and then her having to sort of say in her own way, that was now had begun for herself as a certainty that America was like, you know, a, a great example for the world, a leading country in the world, like a, 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 a democratic light. She had arrived so certain of that. And, and, you know, a week later, she's in this classroom where students can't can't articulate that and and where for her rather than a certainty it's become a question like isn't america is supposed to be this great democracy right and and i think as soon as soon as i heard like the uncertainty in that suddenly for her um it felt like uh 
it felt like that's where I wanted to bring the piece to. Um, in, in part because you have, you, know, you you want ideally in in any story you want an arc where where over time you've seen something change and and um, in this case in a very short amount of time like something dramatic changed like there these teachers belief in in our country disappeared from you know and 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 I would say like for for pretty legitimate reason so um, yeah that I think and sometimes like an ending that feels sudden is. Um, I think the best endings are, are like, you know, sometimes you see a movie and like there's an ending that just leaves you in, in the seat for like that extra 30 seconds where you're just kind of processing like, oh man, like it, it's um, when you're writing a long story and, and you're hoping that somebody's going to invest 30 minutes or whatever it is to read five or 6,000 words. Uh, I think endings are really important. Like that's, they're, they're what makes stories uh, memorable and, and um, they're what keep people thinking about them. And so for me, whenever I'm structuring, whenever I'm writing, I, I have to know how a story ends. Like as, you know, as a, as a student and even as like a journalist early in my career, I would sort of just have an idea of where things were, were going to go and start writing. And it, it was like, trying to travel to a destination without knowing what the destination was. I, I would get totally lost along the way. So now almost the first thing I know before I start a story is like, this This is the place where the story is going to end. Not only like the, the moment of action, but also this is the feeling that I'm trying to achieve or the thing that I'm that, that I'm trying to drive at. Um, and that allows me to sort of structure backwards to, to hopefully reach that place, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely was memorable and uh, the feeling was achieved. And I just want to thank you. Thanks. Um, yeah, I just want to thank you for the piece. It's outstanding. Can't wait to talk to other folks um, about it. But also thank you so much for being on Article Club just to talk more about, about the piece. It's just very generous for you to do this. No, it's my pleasure. And I love that you all do this. Uh, and, and if there's any way that, that another conversation is helpful down the road, if I can be helpful in any way, please uh, wrote me in, let me know. I'd love to do it. I think I'm actually going to go back to to Bullhead at some point and and uh, and and write another piece um, from there. So maybe we can do a part two. I want to say thank you yet again to Eli Saslow, not just for writing this piece, but also for coming onto Article Club and sharing with us all of your thoughts and views about your outstanding article. I'm really, really appreciative. And I'm also very appreciative of you all for being part of Article Club, for listening to this interview, for reading the pieces, and for many of you for coming to discuss the articles themselves. Um, it's a pretty amazing thing uh, that we have here, a really just thoughtful community that just likes to get into the highest quality long form writing and just really grapple with it and be thought provoking and thoughtful and kind with each other. So I just want to thank you all yet again. We've been doing this now for three years and it seems like we're just starting out. Uh, one last thing is I want to welcome anybody who's still on the fence. You're sort of like, what is this thing um, that we're doing here at Article Club? I would love for you to reach out at mark at highlighter.cc if you have any questions, especially if you're a maybe. And if you're an educator, I really want to welcome you um, to come to this discussion um, on November 20th. I just think that we're just going through so much um, in, in our schools and in our country about what's really going on with the state of education. And instead of like just the day-to-day -day difficulties and challenges and stressors and tension, it would be really great just to be able to step back a little bit as we go into Thanksgiving and just have some time to connect. So one last time, if you do want to join, um, all you have to do is sign up at High later.cc slash discussion. Anyway, thank you so much. I hope you have a good weekend coming up. And once again, thank you so much for being part of Article Club. Have a great week.